0: I was lost in utter darkness, I was trapped in toxic shame, I was bound by my religion till I chose
1: Welcome to Now I See, eye-opening stories from the formerly faithful. I'm your host, Amber White, and here, me and my guests share our experiences in loving and leaving rigid faith systems. Together, we shine a light on the dark corners of these institutions and share the joys of rebuilding life on our own terms. I promise you'll leave inspired, even if you are a little teary-eyed. Hi, and welcome back to Now I See. I'm your host, Amber White, and today's conversation is one I've been mulling over for a few weeks now. I'm talking with Chrissy Holm, host of the podcast Stirred by Words, which I will be a guest on this fall, and author of the upcoming book, Finding Sunlight, a coming-of-age memoir about love within the wreckage of purity culture. Chrissy has such a lovely presence, and I'm so glad we were introduced by our podcast studio. When I invite a guest to be on the show, I give them the option to tell me what they want the theme to be, and I was very intrigued when Chrissy mentioned God as a silent father figure. Thinking of God as a father figure wasn't something that I was ever able to connect with very well. I remember trying really hard in my middle school and high school years to see God that way, but it wasn't something that resonated. My parents were divorced, with my dad living several states away, and I was a woman. There wasn't really much for me to relate to. If you've listened to this podcast before, you're likely aware that I'm not fond of gendering the divine. According to the Bible most churches have and use and teach— God created all of us in the image of God, and then decided to go all in on one specific archetype out of all of those, leaving anyone who doesn't carry the title man or father out of a chance to see the image of God in themselves. What an interesting way to disenfranchise over half a population. What an interesting way to make more people than not feel completely disconnected from their creator. It's almost like doing so concentrates power into the hands of people who benefit from it. It's almost like it allows them to use anyone outside of that image to do their bidding under the guise of providing access to God. Weird. Gendering aside, though, I struggle with the parental title a bit as well. I mean, I get it. Creator and all. But... What sort of parent goes silent after saying a few cryptic words a few thousand years before you're born and then demands so much praise and perfection that you constantly feel guilty that you aren't giving enough because you're told you never can and never will, but are still expected to? And what kind of parent tells their child that they're lucky to be loved and cared for by them because something that was passed down through generations and is entirely out of the child's control makes them imperfect and therefore unworthy to be in their presence unless they say a very specific sentence in a very specific way and really mean it? We would call that child abuse because it is. And yet, so many of us learned that this is who God is and how God works, and were then told this was the perfect example of a loving father. It's a shame. I won't say too much more and spoil this awesome conversation, so just a quick reminder that there are some helpful links in the show notes for Chrissy's book, her lovely podcast, and other resources that I've curated for you so far. Okay, let's get into the episode. Hi, Chrissy. I am so grateful you're here today. I've had the best time getting to know you in this process of you know, getting to recording and talking about our topic. And I just think you're a wonderful ray of sunshine human being. And I appreciate you being here today.
0: Oh, Thank you so much, Amber. I really appreciate you letting me be on the show and share part of my story. And I'm really excited to get to know you more even throughout this interview. And yeah, I just really appreciate
1: your time and energy today. Oh, thanks. It's, it's a gift to have you here. So, for our listeners, if you would please set the scene of your religious experience, maybe what it was like in your childhood, that sort of thing, just so they know where you're coming from and what your experience was. Absolutely. So, I
0: started going to church when I was about four or five years old, so I was really young. My parents brought us to this one. When I say us, it was me, my brother, and my two sisters. So, collection of us. But at the time I didn't realize it was an evangelical Baptist church and I was just going to church with my family. And I remember those early days, like there's a lot of community and I had met some good friends, one of which that I'm still friends with today. But towards the end of like first grade, when I was in first grade, my dad told my siblings and I that we're actually going to be homeschooled at that church, which was a really big turning point for our family. And, you know, as the years went on, My dad was a deacon, a music director, a church treasurer. Like he was very involved in the church. So naturally we were. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But that's kind of where I started getting into religion and, and church. It was just baked in for me.
1: Yeah. So when you say homeschooled at church, is that like a homeschool pod that met at the church? Yeah.
0: What was that like? So I was homeschooled from second to fourth grade, which I know we'll talk about probably later. It was kind of like a pod. It was basically a few of the different families had said, oh, you know, I think it's time to be taking our kids out of the public school because they're teaching evolution. They're teaching, you know, like sex education, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It was really started by the parents, and they did some research, and it was we called it the homeschool co-op, essentially.
1: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That's really interesting. Um, those are common things that I hear a lot, like of people who are homeschooled. They didn't. They didn't want their kids being taught evolution, sex education, banned books, those sorts of things. Yes. So it's interesting to me. It always comes back to this element of control. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, how do I control every single thing that happens so that it only fits into this experience and pushes this experience along? And like limiting that outside um, influence that might potentially lead to questions, right? Yes which they call being led astray, right? Mm -hmm. You remember that term? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've got goosebumps thinking about (laughs) (laughs) it. It almost always comes back to that. And I think that's really interesting. So you guys were heavily involved, it sounds like. More than your average church attendee. Yes. Yeah. So we were homeschooled. Well, it was interesting because our homeschool
0: was Tuesday through Thursday. Mondays and Wednesdays we had off. So that was kind of nice. We had some more free time. But so Tuesdays through Thursdays were at homeschool. Wednesday nights were at church. Saturdays we'd do like events for the church, like a Valentine's Day dinner, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And then Sunday, obviously, morning service. And then we'd go home for lunch and then we'd come back for evening service. So.
1: (laughs) It's a lot of church time. (laughs) I remember that very well. (laughs) Just your whole life is centered around making sure you're ready to go to church. You're ready for you know night church after morning church. You're ready for that VBS week. You're ready for revival. You're ready for it's it's a lot. It really does take up a huge portion of your life, which I think is okay, right? Like there are a lot of things that you can get involved in that will take up a chunk of your life, and I don't criticize anyone for wanting to commit themselves to a group that's good to them in that way. But where where the issue I take with it is when it's the pressure to do it, because if you don't, you're bad. Mm-hmm. If you don't participate, you're not committed to God. If you aren't doing the Valentine's Day dinner, you're not a great servant-hearted person. <laughs> you know, that's to me where I think a lot of the issues come in and where I start to see religion cross into cult territory.
0: Absolutely. Like, they're perpetuating that, like, shame of if you're not doing this, then you're going to go to hell. Or you're, like you said, and you're not serving the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. It goes
1: back to that control piece, right? Yes. Yes. The control just kind of gets passed down the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So... Yeah, that umbrella,
0: like I was just watching that shiny, happy people.
1: Oh, I know, which I'm sure that we
0: could go down a rabbit hole on that. But when they're (laughs) Mm -hmm. talking about that umbrella of like the husband, wife, and Mm -hmm. then the children like Mm -hmm. that, I'm 90% sure my dad showed me that when we were younger. So it's like that was something that we were taught is we respect and we are there for the father figure, essentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That father figure thing gets... Very real, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's interesting. Like you got God as father, right, on that top umbrella. Yep. And then your pastor as your spiritual father. Yep. And then your dad as your father father. Yep. And then mom, who is kind of your authority, but is actually just your dad's authority passed through her. Mm-hmm. And then there's you, and you have nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't even have authority over yourself. And I think it paints a really interesting picture of what a father figure is and isn't. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I know I have like this very vivid memory of me standing in the church hallway with my dad. I'm not entirely sure how old I was, maybe like six, seven, eight, I don't know. But I remember that I would ask him, I'm like, Cause we were talking about like, what, what's the most important thing in your life? Like, who do you make a priority? And he always said, God is number one. Mm -hmm. Then it's your wife and children. Then it's you. Like you come beyond that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting too, because you come last, but you're also the leader of the household. If you're a father, Mm -hmm. those those are difficult things to hold in the same hand, (laughs) or even in the same two hands, like on (laughs) the body. Like that's, um, I think there's a disservice done to women in these cultures for sure. But they come at the expense of also doing damage to, I think, men's psyche, right, and their emotional state. And it's sad to me to see. And I think it gets overlooked. More often because men aren't going to speak up about their feelings as much, right? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think looking back at why we joined the church, I think part of it was my dad, but I think it's because I feel like he was looking for something Mm -hmm. and he didn't like know what. So his dad left, like his biological father left Mm -hmm. before he even knew him, like that kind of thing. So I think he was trying to look for that like father figure as well. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I think he, felt like he was finding himself in church. And of course I can't speak for my dad, but this is just how I've been able to process it is like Mm -hmm. he found himself then at church, which obviously had an impact on us as kids.
1: Yeah. When you think about the way you experienced fatherhood with your dad and then the idea that God is your heavenly father, how did what you learned from your experiences with your dad translate into that relationship with God? How did it affect it?
0: Yeah. I think that's a good question. I think some of it is like Kind of that control that we were talking about, but also just, like, that fear was a big aspect of it. Um, It's, like, you have to not fear your dad, but, like, he knows what's right, so you have to follow what he says. For example, like, my dad would say, if I tell you to jump, you don't say why, you say how high Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And that's how I interpreted how God would look at me as well, like – you don't ask me questions of why. You say, like, what can I do to serve you, Lord? So I think yeah. it, both of those kind of went hand in hand for me.
1: Yeah. The idea that you're like an empty vessel that just gets filled up with whatever somebody tells you to do is pretty real. Did you ever hear the phrase growing up the quickly, sweetly, and completely with obedience?
0: Obedience, for sure. I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember the first part, but obedience was, whew. Yeah. We heard that all
1: Huge one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing all the time, it was like the quickly, sweetly, and completely. That's how you obey. And so if you don't do it quickly, if you don't do it with a really good attitude and joy in your heart, and if you don't do it beyond the idea of like done, like it should be like as perfect as possible, like then you didn't actually obey. Yes. Okay. Yes. You just tried not to get in trouble and that's not good enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really sets you up for a really weird work life. I got to tell you. <laughs> Oh my
0: God. Yes. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. That is, that is so funny. Because
1: mm-hmm. oh, yeah.
0: that is, yes. You just nailed everything that I
1: experience in my day to day. It's probably because I also experience it in yeah. my day to day. We have that in common. Oh, yeah. I have found that I am... Very quick to undercut my own experience, mm-hmm. to undercut my own skill set, and to just undervalue my experience and abilities and all of that. And it just really, it affects you in your day to day, everything you do. It really does. It comes up. Yeah. You think it's just like, oh, I just grew up with it and
0: I'm fine and everything is fine and dandy or whatever. But it really does impact everything that you do.
1: It does. Yeah. Well, then thinking about then the relationship with God that comes off of that idea of obedience to your parents that then obedience to God. But God is silent. So you have a Bible that sometimes addresses issues and sometimes doesn't. Not everything is addressed that comes up in life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think to like play off of that a little bit too, like something that I've worked with in therapy a lot is I've got this like right and wrong, black and white kind of thinking. And it's really... Something that I've been trying to work on is thinking more of those shades of gray and like not everything is a right or wrong type thing.
1: Yeah. I have been coming face to face with my own rigidity a lot lately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it really isn't that boxed in. It really isn't that intense. It's just, it's okay. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Nobody cares about this as much as you do right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Most folks aren't even going to know it and everything's fine. And it's it's interesting how that has held over all this time. How long ago did you leave your religion?
0: Yeah. So I would say I was about in like 10th grade. It was right around the time that my parents got divorced, which is a whole thing because since my dad was so strict religious, it kind of rocked the boat. But I left a little bit before that. Um I had been dating somebody who was actually atheist and he kept saying questions and I'm like, wow, yeah, that's interesting. I've mm-hmm. never thought about that, it that way. And um, it really got me thinking a lot more. I had been going to church with a friend and her and her parents were picking me up and we were going. And then just, I felt myself sitting there and I'm like, I'm not happy here. I mm. don't feel good. I feel like you guys are saying things that I, I don't believe in or agree with. And why am I still going? So right around 10th grade is when I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm done going tenth, eleventh grade, maybe. Yeah,
1: that's about the same time as my partner he left church, and he was just like, "I don't think this is right. <laughs> like, I don't think this is good." Yeah, I was about nineteen when I went to Bible college, eighteen or nineteen when I went to Bible college, and that's when it all started for me. Absolutely, yeah. And when we were
0: preparing for this episode, you know, we were talking about like pet school, Christian college. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. I mean, I remember sitting in those. I was sitting in that. Church environment right around tenth eleventh grade, and they're like, "Oh, mm. you got to go to college," and mm-hmm. they kept giving us pamphlets for that school. And I'm like, "Oh, I don't know, this doesn't feel right."
1: Yeah, the recruiters for those colleges work hard. Absolutely, <laughs> the devil works hard, but Bible college yeah. recruiters work harder. That's so true. <laughs> it's so true. They're everywhere. Uh, <laughs> they're everywhere, <laughs> and they have a story to tell. Oh yeah all of them <laughs> it's unbelievable oh yeah yeah it's usually that's that's a critical time that going into college age it's a it's around the time in development when you're really starting to separate yourself from your parents anyway in preparation for adulthood and so i think it just sometimes gets wound up in that and that separation from parents thing gets interesting because you've been living under this strict authority for so long. And then if you're like me and you just kind of like leave and then you're out on your own, like it is shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you're not
0: prepared. Exactly. It rocked my world because it was like you're saying, it was so like scriptive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like this is what you do. And then when I lost that or I didn't have that example for me, you know, that example was shattered then I didn't know what to do, what to follow. And I felt like that was so ingrained in who I started to become is like, you just Mm -hmm. follow what God and your father says, essentially.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. I found myself so surprised by how fluid the world is, Mm -hmm. right? By the spectrum of people's personalities, by the various experiences that they had that I couldn't have even imagined at that point you know, meeting people who had traveled the world, not just for missions, but for learning and for fun and for, you know, who knew about other religions that I'd either never heard of or knew very little about, Um, like only enough to say they're wrong, right? They're not like mine, so they're wrong. Yes. So really weird way to learn about something, not an effective way to learn about something. No, absolutely not. Um, And so it just, it was very overwhelming. And then That authority umbrella is gone too. And all of a sudden you're your own authority, but you have no idea who you are. Yes. You have no idea what you want. You have no idea what people can be like and how to protect yourself if you need to, or even what a good, healthy connection looks like. Because you're just so ingrained to follow a mold and an authoritarian Setup.
0: Exactly. You're you're just an empty vessel that has no direction in life now.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. And I think too, but like going up that umbrella to God, I wanna go back to that silent father figure thing. The idea that God talks to people, you know, you hear that sometimes, like God speaks to us through his word and and all of that. But again, it doesn't touch on every situation. Like, how do you choose a career? That's God's will. If it's not directly written in the Bible that you should go do this career because you're this kind of person, there's no prescription for that, right? Yeah. It creates this barrier between your ability to experience yourself and learn about yourself because you have to know everything that's the will of this silent father figure. (laughs)
0: Like how can you understand what you need to do if you're not getting any feedback? Not getting any feedback. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's your problem. <laughs> right? But yet you also don't have the authority to think and ask questions and ask why.
1: <laughs> no, that is a toxic relationship. If I looked at my partner right now and asked for direction on something, what do you want know to do with your laundry? Even something small, right? Yeah. And he silenced out of it, but then expected me to know based on a vibe? No, absolutely not i need some something <laughs> a little bit more concrete some something clear like what <laughs> especially if you're going to make it as serious as they make it right like this is this is everything this is this is your whole life and then okay <laughs> it, it's Where life or that? death like it's never- yeah 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 so i'm curious how that has shown up for you in your relationships whether they be romantic or you know even just platonic friendships how has that idea shown up for you?
0: Yeah, I think it's tough because I feel like in the relationships that I've been with men, it's been, I just kind of have to listen to what they you're saying. And I feel like mm-hmm. they know the right way. They, I don't know, basically I, I, I not bow down to them, but like I, I mm-hmm. submit to them. Like that's what's ingrained in me, whether they're saying what they actually need or not. Which then gets me to not think about my own needs, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then in like friendships, I feel like it's hard to for myself even to ask for like this is what I need to like mm-hmm. keep this friendship not stable but like healthy essentially. And mm-hmm. a lot of times it kind of goes to that like people pleasing part of me and feeling like I have to make everyone else feel better before I make myself feel better.
1: Type of yeah. thing. Yeah, that's what was trained. Yeah, that that upsets people to hear who maybe did that in their families, but it is a trained behavior. You teach people to people please by expecting them to meet a set of standards that aren't clear, and then punishing them, and by setting such a strict standard in general. I think it, it very much it just it's a it is a pipeline to people pleasing. It really is, and and thinking back to that
0: like silence piece, like if somebody is giving me like the silent treatment or not saying anything, then I inside my head trying to figure out what, what it is they want, what it is they need. Then I don't ask questions because if I were to ask a question, then the clarity would come and we'd probably be okay. (laughs) But I don't ask.
1: (laughs) That is amazing. I'm so glad you said that. That is, that is something I was just thinking about. So I was like, yeah, but like you can ask questions, but then I'm like, why don't I ask questions? And it's because you don't expect an answer. So, there's never really been much of a point. And if you do ask questions, you're given, you're sometimes criticized for one, even asking, how dare you? And two, you're going to get an answer that's not sufficient or that puts the problem back on you, which creates a fear dynamic, I think, around asking questions. Oh, I'm glad you said that. That really, I think that brings it home. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember, oh my gosh, something that comes up for me a lot in intimate relationships is like someone asking me what I want, which is a very nice, good partner thing to do. That is such a good thing, especially if you're like in an intimate moment, like, what do you want? You know, like that kind of thing. I panic. Yes. Every single time I I go completely silent. My eye, I can feel my eyes get as big as like biscuits. Like they're huge. I'm just like, what do you mean? You know, just it's fine. Whatever you do is fine. Like, what do you mean? Yes, <laughs> like, that's exactly what I like. I nice. have no notes. <laughs> <laughs> like you know this, you do it. I don't know. <laughs> guess, guess. That's what I do with you. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's how this intimate moment is
0: supposed to be, right? Like we're not actually uh-huh. supposed to communicate. You're supposed to just do. <laughs>
1: I have found that I've gotten really good at guessing though. Like yeah. really good at guessing. Hey, yo. <laughs> I have picked up on the patterns that I need to make this silent thing work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not but other people don't know that or do that. Oh, <laughs> it's that a very such. unique
0: thing. Yeah, that brings up a lot um just thinking throughout like all my different like intimate relationships and a lot of times I have been silent and just like not like a dead fish. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, I don't know. Like you, you know how to make me feel good. I don't
1: know how to make myself feel good. Mm. Here's the phrase that's coming up for me. I trust that whatever you decide is going to be fine. Mm. Right. Just give the agency away. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) But that is such an ingrained thought. And I think it's interesting. I've I've been thinking a lot too about anxiety and worry lately and the idea that you're supposed to trust God and trust that whatever happens is fine. And that's supposed to be like the church that I grew up in was not very fond of therapy and medication for disorders and things like that. The idea is that you just trust God and all of a sudden those anxieties go away. But what you're actually doing is giving up your agency and any sense of like wants or needs or desires or and just trusting that whatever you're handed is going to work out. Yeah. And to a certain extent it is good to accept that like everything that comes at you and like you're going to be okay and it's going to be you're going to be able to get through and there there is something to that part I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But the idea that like you don't need to say so in your life at all I think is very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and important to propagating that same thought to another generation, to your friends, to your non-religious family.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like anybody that's either in your circle or like even a ripple effect outside of your circle, because whatever Mm -hmm. people might be seeing you do or not do is going to impact their lives, which is going to impact their circle of lives. And it's just an ever growing like ripple effect, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so the love that we got into intimate relationships and talking about that portion of things, because you wrote a book about Finding Sunlight, and I'm very excited about it. When we were first introduced, I thought it was already out. And I was, I was like trying to look for the <laughs> link to buy it. So I'm very excited <laughs> for it to be released and to get a copy. So tell me a little bit about Finding Sunlight and you know what drove you to write it and what it's about. And you know give our listeners a little teases to what they can expect from it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So finding sunlight, it's the, that's the title, but then the subtitle is a coming of age memoir about love within the wreckage of purity culture. So (laughs) yeah, a lot of it is kind of that journey of identifying like what is a loving relationship in the church. And it's really my journey of finding love, Missed my parents' divorce at a pivotal mm-hmm. point in my life when I'm trying to find what love is and growing up in like that purity culture, don't have sex before marriage, yeah. all that type of worlds, you know, man and woman. Mm-hmm. It's really that journey of like me processing it and trying to eventually find a partner. I love that. Yeah. But, um, what, caught me to want to write it. Well, originally I was actually just writing something to process my parents' divorce because I was Mm -hmm. like, it hit me hard. And I didn't realize why it hit me hard. I mean, I knew that divorce for other people have, I mean, it's hard. It's a hard thing um, to see your parents go through that. But for some reason it was just like, oh, there's something more here. So I started writing it to process that. And (laughs) I had some writing partners like reflect. And one of them had said, you grew up in purity culture and i'm like what <laughs> so i didn't even know what it was oh, as yeah. i was writing it so like it really became a like a deconstruction or like as i was writing it, it just became an eye opening experience for me because mm-hmm. i haven't been able going back to that silent thing i haven't been able to share my voice share my story right so in doing that is what i actually learned about needing to share my story i guess if that makes sense
1: yeah, it does. I have found that to be very true with this podcast for me. Yeah. yeah. The idea of using your voice and not just continuing to bury it like your thoughts aren't important or like this doesn't need to be talked about or there isn't community around this and all of Abs- that. Absolutely. I'm glad that that is an experience you got to have and that you got to learn what uh, the term purity culture because I feel like that term can lead you on an incredible journey. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that was kind of like my foot in the door of Mm-hmm. everything that we've even talked about.
1: Yeah. I have a few guests who've talked about purity culture with me in episodes that'll be coming out. It's amazing how hard it hits people. It's, I think it's one of the things that hits folks the hardest. That and I think family struggles tend to be the things that people spend the longest working through because they're so damaging. Mm-hmm. And I'm just glad to have another voice out there sharing a perspective and I, I just also love that you called it Finding Sunlight. Yeah. like Yeah. I mean, my podcast is called Now I See. I'm very big on like eye-opening moments and clarity and how you got through it and what you found on the other side. And I just think that's a beautiful- Thank you. Beautiful <laughs> thing that you have done. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And kind of some of the undertones of it too is with purity culture, it's like man and woman, but mm. some of it is like- I didn't feel safe to share my sexuality, which I I identify as bisexual. And Mm -hmm. for me, growing up in the church and as super religious and, I mean, like you said, the fear and having a dad Mm -hmm. that really pressed those values on us, it just – the story is about all those things that I had to go through to, like, keep my secret safe. Mm -hmm. And then, then the story goes on.
1: <laughs> oh, that's an interesting. I'm glad you get into that because there is a long secret keeping phase to getting out of this and rebuilding. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was something
0: that I kept to myself for 20 plus years. Like,
1: yeah, that's a tough one to try to breach that subject <laughs> at all or be open about it because you just know the fallout's going to be brutal. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I've also found that after the secrets phase, there's like the anger about having to keep secrets phase. Mm. And it's like twofold. It's mad that you felt like you had to do it. But then it's also mad that you did it. Yep. (laughs) Because it's always going to come back to, well, I could have been more perfect. Yes. (laughs) Not like the conditions around me having to keep secrets weren't such that I had to keep secrets. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's my fault. Right. It's on me. (laughs) It's on me. Oh my goodness. It's
0: so true. I mean, honestly, actually, what you just said makes me think a little bit like that anger phase. You know, I feel like I sometimes still am dabbling with that. Like, and that's something Mm. that I'm working through is I look over the last 20, 30 years and I say, like, well, why didn't I just say it? Just do it. Just say the secret. And I wonder how different my life could have turned out. But Mm. like, I'm still processing that. But I think, In telling my story, it it's helping me to like process it and get through that anger phase, and also like knowing that it's okay to not get through it all because I'm human. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be messy. I don't have to be perfect, like Mm -hmm. religion taught me. You know?
1: Yeah, that one has probably been the toughest one for me to unlearn Mm -hmm. of all the things that I'm unlearning. That one's that one sticks the hardest and the one I most have to actively work on for sure. And that angry phase, I've said this a million times, and I will say it until I'm blue in the face, because it's something that I need to, to hear, I think. Mm-hmm. But the angry phase is extremely important. And anger is a really important emotion for those of us who are not allowed to express it. Right. You know, we kept hearing anger is dangerous. Your anger is unrighteous. Your anger is self-serving. It's your sin nature. It's all of these things. And so then you learn not to have any, or you have it, but you learn to push it down so far and turn it into something that looks like joy to get by. And so learning to accept that I feel very angry about something is such an important part of the process. Mm -hmm. And relearning anger, or not even, well, learning anger for the first time, I should say. Yeah, right. It's important to, I think, keep in mind anger is not bad in and of itself, right? Any, any feeling can become a bad thing, quote, unquote, if the behavior that comes with it is hurtful, right? Mm-hmm. Is damaging. That's the issue that feeling itself is just a feeling, right? It's just meant to tell you something. It's information that you can dig into, like, why am I angry? What am I angry about? And that's such an important part. And I really, I see people a lot of time being like, saying things like, well, you just can't be bitter and you can't be da-da-da. And I'm like, there's a big conflation of anger and bitterness. Yeah. And if you're taking your anger and you're saying, this was wrong, this hurt me, and this is going to now affect me for the rest of my life, and then you're doing something with it, to try to work through it or to work with other people like, you know, like you're trying to do with your book and like so many folks like me are trying to do with their podcasts and social media accounts like all of this, that is community processing of trauma. That is not bitterness. Absolutely. And I just, I hope that anyone out there who's thinking about leaving or is deconstructing or going through this, I really love for people to take a pause in that angry phase because anger is probably the last emotion that you know how to deal with and like take the time with it. And
0: and know that it's okay too. Like it's okay to be angry. It sucks. Like it is totally frustrating.
1: Okay. <laughs> it is. It is. But it's okay. You know, I've, I feel like now at 34, I've just learned that I can be really angry at my partner for like half a day and it'll be fine. It's going to go away. <laughs> it's probably just an amalgamation of things and it's just a feeling. Yeah. And it's okay. It doesn't mean the world is crumbling down, or we're bad together, or anything like that. It's just
0: a feeling. Yes, yes. And it's a a feelings are a sign of like that you're in tune with who you are. And
1: yes, yeah,
0: which is something that we weren't able to have back. You know, Mm -hmm. we couldn't be in (laughs) tune with our feelings because feelings weren't real. (laughs)
1: Feelings weren't real. No, the only feeling that was praised I can remember is joy and happiness. Mm. And so I was very well known as like the joyful, happy, like everything's always great and so positive and it's okay that I was punished. I'm bad. And like, I'm going to be so happy about it. I'm like, I look at that now and I'm like, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> like, yeah. I, right. <laughs> it's so sad. But like, that's the thing that was praised. Oh, you made our life really easy. So you're good. Yeah. But if you get mad or upset about something, you know.
0: We're fine. It goes back to that. We're fine. Everything's fine Stop here.
1: <laughs> I have found that in medical situations, that can be a really difficult thing because I've had more than one doctor and I have some health conditions that, you know, I have to work on. And... They'll be like, "Well, you seem fine," and I'm like, "I kind of want to die." So, yeah. like, I'm saying it with a smile on my face, but I'm telling you the truth. So like, oh, yeah, please. but inside I'm melting. <laughs> I am struggling through every second of every day. Please help me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so true. Yeah, and I think that's something. I think that can lead to other problems and things. So I just. Examine your emotions. Something I'm trying to learn to do is ask when I feel angry, ask questions about it. Yeah. Which is tough because the questions. <laughs> uh, thousand percent. I
0: feel the exact same way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think when I, in my thought process, I start getting angry like, you can't stop being angry. You're fine. Like, come on, you've mm-hmm. got it. Like, but you really have to go, okay, well, why are you feeling frustrated right now? Like mm-hmm. take a step back, take a breath, whatever it may be that helps center you, ground you again. And then just,
1: it's okay to be mad. Just explore why, like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel it's sad to me because like I was so much older when I learned this lesson, but I learned that, okay, when you get angry enough, you just leave. If you just leave, then it goes away because the problem is that you ever got angry enough in the first place. And so that means this is wrong, that this relationship is bad, that this is, you know, this isn't the right thing for you, whatever story you can make up. And then you just bolt rather than working through it and addressing it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't have much to add, like that is exactly (laughs) It's
1: true. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's a tough part to get through, but you know, I, interestingly enough, learned a little bit more about that being in a different kind of church because I did go back to church for a time. Um, But it was a very specific type of church and I was just, there's an episode about it. So you'll be able to hear it's coming out this week, but the, there was intentional time in that church to sit in discomfort around mm. things. Uncomfortable things could be said, and we might react, but we're going to sit in that discomfort together. And maybe there's going to be a long, awkward silence, but it's going to happen. And that was a really healing experience for me, what I never thought I'd have in a church. <laughs> so very glad to have had it. And it's something I'm trying to learn on my own now and just mm. in my every day. It's a tough one. It is. To sit in that
0: uncomfortable
1: feeling is mm-hmm. never easy. <laughs> but it is educational. Very, very eye-opening. <laughs> uh, very eye-opening. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. That's great. So I'm curious, you left, you know, it's like 20 some odd years ago. Where do you sit with all of this now?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's still something that I'm processing, you know, like
1: Mm -hmm.
0: being able to talk about it is a huge step for me. Mm. I think religious wise, I'm not entirely sure like where I want to go. And I, you know, I believe in like spirituality and all Mm -hmm. that. But for me, the most important thing is just to heal and not Mm -hmm. to be perfect and healed. Like I know there'll still always be a scar, but Mm -hmm. just for once, just taking care of myself is kind of where I'm at with
1: this journey putting yourself first yeah you're the top umbrella right now <laughs> damn
0: right <laughs> <laughs> that's right
1: <laughs> i love that i think that's really really beautiful i'm trying to do the same it's a, it's a process it oh it is and sometimes <laughs>
0: that umbrella gets flipped in the wind and rains you know <laughs> whipping it around it goes like the op- or like a, you know the,
1: it sure does <laughs> it needs to be reinforced in some places but we're working on it Exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. This has been a really good conversation. I'm so glad that you're able to be here and to do this with me. Yeah. I really appreciate this. This has been great. Uh, I'm excited. So before we get into our final closing questions, I'm curious, when is your book coming out and how might people be able to buy it when it does?
0: Yes. So it's coming out in September, 2023. So soon
1: <laughs> very soon
0: yes and you can go to my website it's www.crissyhome.com it's c h r i s s y h o l m.com and then amber can put this in the show notes too as well and i should have a pre-order link there that
1: you can click if
0: not pre-order then a live link that you can buy <laughs> depending nice. on when you listen to this episode
1: <laughs> so exciting writing a book is an undertaking. Yeah,
0: it's been a <laughs> a lot harder than I anticipated.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet it's brought up a lot. And um, I'm just so excited to read what you have to say and get into your insights. And I just know it's going to be beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. This is my least favorite part of every show because I have to close it out and I could just talk to you forever. But there are two questions that I like to ask every guest who comes on the show, because I think we talk a lot about the things that happened to us and how devastating they are. But I really like to hear what has come of the journey of undoing it, right, of deconstructing it and rebuilding on your own terms. So the first question is, what do you see clearly now? that you didn't see before when you were the most immersed in your faith?
0: Yeah, that is, I do love that question. I think for me, what I see clearly the most is how family can really impact religion and religion can really impact family dynamics. So like questioning why is a big thing. Mm -hmm. So like for me, I can see that now. Before I just was like, oh, okay, this is just the way it's meant to be. And now it just makes sense, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think that's why your more high control religious organizations do so much family work, right? Yes. Making sure the family follows the model. Yes. Because it does have a huge impact on whether or not the kids stay in it and keep donating. Exactly. Exactly. Keep it alive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the last question, and probably my favorite one is, what have been some of your greatest moments of joy in rebuilding your life post faithfulness?
0: I also really love this one. And I've listened to your other episodes and I'm like, oh, these are so good answers. (laughs) But I think for me, one of the biggest things, and there's a couple, but one is that I'm not alone. I realize A lot of people have been through very similar situations Mm -hmm. called church culture. And for so many years, I thought it was just my siblings and I. So it's really (laughs) eye-opening that I'm realizing it's so much more and it's impacted so many people in different ways, including yourself. Like to Mm -hmm. open this floor for a podcast is just incredible. Even friends that I have been friends with for many years, as I've been sharing my story on social media and letting them know that I'm writing a book. They've been opening up and I'm realizing that they're going through that too. So that's been super mm-hmm. rewarding. But then also in that, knowing that I can choose my path has been a big joyful moment for me. Mm-hmm. Like I can mm-hmm. be more than just a woman following what her husband says. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like even like gender roles. Like I can be more than just cleaning, cooking, yeah. feeding raising kids, that kind of thing. So yeah. It's joyful knowing that I can grow and I can be messy and not have all the right or wrong answers. (laughs) But yeah, embracing my own humanity, I guess, is
1: the biggest thing. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that you've brought up a few times the, the messiness part because the pristine version of self that Christianity ask for some some versions of christianity ask for and what we experienced like there's not a lot of room for messy no you know i've watched people try to cover up their messy for years and years and years and there's something great about just accepting that humans are messy <laughs> they just are and we are and i am and and that doesn't mean good or bad like you were talking about it doesn't mean black or white mm-hmm. it just means this flowing grayness (laughs) like well actually hopefully not gratefulness hopefully a variety of colors and shades of those colors (laughs) yeah Yeah. yeah, exactly Exactly. and not just this like pillar of perfection that's all white yeah even like purity like think of the word purity Mm -hmm. it's
0: baked into that feeling of perfection and cleanliness
1: yeah and I, i think it It's not lost on me that there are a lot of people who don't fit into that by nature of their appearance and their sexuality and their, I mean, that's just, I just can't accept that there's a God out there who would say that those things aren't perfect in their own way.
0: Yeah.
1: This was an absolute joy. I am so glad we got to do this. Thank you again for being here.
0: Thank you so much, Amber. I really appreciate your time, energy, and um, just- Being such a kind person, like this is really appreciated.
1: Oh, thank you. You too. Thank you for tuning in to this episode and being on this journey with me. You can find resources and links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate and review and follow along on social media to help us grow. Now I See is independently funded by me. If you'd like to help support the show, you can donate directly or purchase a merch item on the website. Music for this episode was made by Alana Sabatini, a former faithful and talented musician. And finally, this podcast is made possible by the incredible team at Softer Sounds, a feminist podcast studio for entrepreneurs and creatives, providing technical skill with tender support.